Wendy, I'm going to need some more Narcan, please. Um, I had to uh, bring my boyfriend and my sister back today, just a few minutes ago. So please, I need more Narcan if you can, please. The Recovery First podcast is a podcast that helps highlight local initiatives in Greenville, South Carolina, and as well as on a national stage in the recovery communities. Here you will hear a wider range of topics surrounding addiction, recovery, and amazing advocates helping to make a difference in the recovery space. If you or a loved one are struggling with substance use disorder, please contact us today by calling 864-787-3798 or by visiting www.freedomrecoverycenterofgreenville.org. Now let's get ready to hear another amazing podcast with your host, Mike Todd. You know, we get we get these calls yeah. a lot, right, Dolly? And that yeah. that is actually that was actually a call to Wendy, uh, who does harm reduction in Surrey County over in Mayberry. I mean, it's literally where Mayberry is, but um listening to that it, it to me it's amazing that we we still constantly hear that at, that you know you guys give that narcan out to them over and over over again um yeah absolutely i mean and, and because yeah. because if you want to if you really want to capture this the bottom line is she was trying to keep her sister and her boyfriend alive yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, that's all she's. So when we hear things like Narcan is enabling, I mean, the only thing I think this lady was trying to do was enable their breathing. Right. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one two points I always make to people is that the only thing Narcan enables is breathing is life. And where there's life, there's hope. And at the end of the day, um, surprisingly, I get the most pushback, I think, from people who are in recovery that maybe didn't have that. Um, they weren't using those particular substances or they're old timers. They just, they don't understand, you know, cause that's not something that was happening in their day or something they experienced. And, um, I've even heard people say that you can become addicted to Narcan, which is absolutely ridiculous. Or people saying, um, I don't want them to know that we have Narcan because then that's just going to make them use like none of this is true. And it all just goes back to that false messaging. And that's really, you know, beyond giving people safe supplies and providing them with life-saving things like Narcan, that's really what, as harm reductionists, like we're up against that false messaging that's out there. And and even even the pushback, like we don't even have a syringe exchange law in South Carolina. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know, like even the pushback from that, that like, mm-hmm. okay, we're giving them something to help them not harm themselves. We're giving them right. something to help not spread disease, diseases yep. such as AIDS. And even if you even if you look at it from solely from a financial aspect, how yep. much does it cost to treat someone on a government dollar with AIDS? Yep. Of course, their life's worth it. We believe that. Yeah. But also, I mean, also when you start talking about hepatitis and things like mm-hmm. that, 
You mentioned, you, you did mention, I mean, and I know we're kind of going off in different directions because we don't know where the hell Wendy is. That's cool. Uh, but, <laughs> but you mentioned to me, and I can kind of tell the more I talk to you, that like our, our harm reduction, or I'm going to go ahead and say this, he probably won't like this, but our harm reduction kind of hero here in Greenville is none other than Mark Burroughs. And yeah. you said that he is somewhat of a mentor to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I Absolutely. can, I can, so, I, I can tell. Yeah. He, um, him and Michael actually. So I started passing out Narcan in my car about 18 months ago. Cause, um, traditionally as part of my recovery service, I would take meetings into jails or we were working on getting meetings into women's prisons in Georgia that don't have any. Well, two things happened in my life at the same time. I moved back to my hometown and COVID hit. So I was no longer able to be of service in those ways. And I was like, how do I help people who are like me? You know what I mean? Like I found recovery again in a jail cell and I was also a homeless IV drug user. And I had experienced so many of my friends overdosing and dying. And, um, I felt so helpless. So I started passing out the Narcan in my car and Michael hit me up one day and he's like, actually what you're doing is called harm reduction. My friend, Mark, has a harm reduction coalition in Greenville. Oh. I'm going to talk to him and see if we can send you some syringes. Would you be interested in doing that? And um, up until that point, you know, I knew from my experience having to deal with my own addiction issues or substance use issues that that would be helpful to people. But it wasn't until then that I really started digging into why it's helpful and why it's good for the community and why it makes sense overall. And, um, Without Mark and Michael and Riley, who was on your show oh, last yeah. week, I Riley, isn't he would wonderful? Be, be so lost. They, they are awesome. I love them all so much. And I got to tell you, I'm, you know, I'm so impressed. And we're just kind of going with it here. OK. And you can tell we're just kinda, <laughs> I'm so impressed with Riley, uh, with what he yeah. did with with getting medically assisted treatment into recovery housing in the mm -hmm. I think it was the Athens area. He said there was no yeah. recovery. And it sounds very, very, very similar to what's happening here in South Carolina. I mean, I would say very, very few homes allow. I'm one of the few yeah. that allow and work with medically assisted treatment. And I want to say that like we do it ethically. OK, and what mm -hmm. I mean by ethically is that we like if if a, if a resident comes in and their own medically assisted treatment. I don't look at them and say, you got to, you got to, uh, uh, you know, wean off of that stuff in right. 30 days or you can't stay here. I mean, we don't do that. And I have them come to right. me a lot of times, Dolly, and say like, you know, Mr. Mike, you know, they call me whatever. Cause I'm old. Like you see the gray hair. Right. And, but, but they do, I, they say, what, <laughs> what do you think I should do? And I'm like, look, man, you know, I'm just sitting behind the desk here. I'm in recovery just like you. I just kind of run this yeah. place, but I certainly am not going to talk to you. And one of the things that, that, uh, in, that Mark found out, he, he did a, uh, he started calling these places and they said they called mm -hmm. themselves MAT friendly, but they're not, but they're not. They only take Vivitrol or they make these kids wean off after 30 days. I do. And, and we, yeah. we were talking um, and, and I want to get, I haven't got, God, I didn't even let you introduce yourself, but Dolly, <laughs> but, but anyway, 
Um, but yeah, we but we were talking earlier um, in the green room because Todd's like real professional. He's got this stuff like really cool, and we really appreciate what he does. But we were talking in the little green room, so to speak, back there, and we've had three uh, overdoses in recovery houses um, here in the last like couple of weeks in South Carolina. Just those are just yeah. ones that I know of. One of yep. the, yeah, and one of the things, Dolly, you know, is I don't know if you've run into this in Augusta, but a lot of these recovery houses will not allow the if if they get an naloxone, mm-hmm. they keep it in the office or they keep it with yep. a manager, but they don't yep. really let the okay. Are you yep. are you running into that in, uh, in um where in Augusta? GA I have. Yes. Okay. And I've run into recovery houses saying we don't want our residents to know that it's here because again, they, in their mind that, Oh, that's a green light to use. Um, I've run into recovery houses who are adamantly against it until they had a resident overdose. And luckily they didn't die, you know, but that was, it could have easily happened. And the, the fact of the matter and something I always stress is, People who use opioids or people with opioid use disorder are most likely to overdose after any period of abstinence. This includes jail. This includes a short amount of time in rehab. Yes. This includes time in a recovery house. So they are at literally the highest risk. And it makes no sense for them to be so against it. And I've even offered to go in, you know, I'll go in and train good, you know, the big dogs up there how to use Narcan and I'll offer to train their house managers and they don't want me to do that for whatever reason. And it's just, in my mind, it doesn't make sense. I think the center I saw that I was most impressed with, it was one out in Athens. It's Acceptance Recovery Center. Okay. They have it easily acceptable by every door with instructions on how to use it. So, yes, for yes. them. Because okay. that's okay. common sense. Okay. That's common sense. If I walk in and my roommate is in an overdose and I had, I can't get Narcan. I got to go track somebody down to get it. Like every minute counts. That's a minute without oxygen, which can cause brain damage or as we know, death. And I, it and doesn't I, make sense. And I know because, you know, I do recovery housing and it's, mm-hmm. it, it is so, so hard. It's like, <laughs> it's like, you feel like you're going to get blind, but listen, people are overdosing everywhere. And I know yeah. that, and I will say this, I, I will say this on this show. Um, we've been in, it, it'll be next year, December, actually, not even next year. It'll be 10 years for us. And we have had one and, um, and I can tell you, I mean, we run a very good program. My, my house manager saw him an hour, hour prior. He said, Hey, I'm going to take a nap. We did not know that he had walked off. And and I mean, and I'll be frank with you, Dolly. I took it really, really, really hard, obviously. And and, um, I mean, but you're you're right. I mean, one of the things that we do, I mean, I'm I'm I am placing it in bedrooms and and, and I'm very advocate. I'm I'm very adequate, you know, about like like if they're out on the porch, like I let them know, are you watching each other? You know, all yeah. that stuff. And I was really proud of them um, the other night. They had, we had a reoccurrence and they were like, and it wasn't like, hey, let's don't rat on this guy. It was like, hey man, this guy doesn't look right. They got, yeah. the, they got the house manager. The house manager went, they went through every protocol 
perfectly because I preach awesome. so much. Yeah. And, and, but here's what they did, Dolly. They, I mean, they got him on an ambulance and, and I mean, he, because he was like, yeah, I'm doing fentanyl. And they were like, mm. they got him on the ambulance yeah. and, you know, it's, and that's another thing, please, please don't just throw them out on the street. Right, Dolly? No. That, no. That's one of the most reckless things that you can do. And I, I was even going to say, I feel like the difference between residents responding in the way that yours did and versus residents trying to cover up for somebody yeah. is that fear that this person's going to get kicked out. They're going to go back to prison. Yeah. They're going to be on the street. You know, but when you create an environment that's actually conducive to conversation, like open, yeah. honest communication, that's when things go right. And that's when they know that they can go to you and say, hey, something's going on with this person. And they're not worried about, is that person going to be sleeping on the street tonight? Is that person's probation officer going to be called immediately? No, um, no. I, yeah, no, no, no. You're you're absolutely right. So I mean, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you, I, no, I, we're having a great conversation here because because I one of the things that I've taught them is to treat it is when they like okay back in the old days we and Nicole Chris is going to shoot me for even saying this because she's a language yeah I don't know if you know Nicole she's a good friend of mine from Myrtle Beach but. You know, I, I called it a relapse. I'm, I'm old, okay? I got mm -hmm. in recovery in, yeah. in 19. But I've learned to use the, the correct language. And we start yeah. talking about, we call it a reoccurrence. And I say, if they yeah. have a reoccurrence, you know, we're not going to just throw them out on the street. We're going to get them the proper medical attention. And we're going yeah. to treat them with dignity and love. Yeah. And what that means is, hey, man, you're going to get in the damn or you're going to get on the ambulance or you're going to get in the car and you're going to because here's what here's what I preach to them, Dolly. And correct me if I if I say anything wrong, you know more about this stuff than I do. Seriously, um, one of the things that I preach to them about is if someone comes home and you suspect it. Right. Yeah. Like this guy, this guy a couple weeks ago that came in. And they and they suspected it, and they asked him, and they said, "Hey, man, we're going to drug test you. We're concerned about you." Um, my thing is, you can look at them, and then the next thing you know, and you just kind of go, "Oh, I'm going to let it slide because I don't want to be a snitch or whatever it may be." And that guy can yeah. go to sleep upstairs to go to sleep and not wake up. And here's correct. And dang it, here's what they did: they got him before he went to sleep. You know, so and I don't okay. know how we got all on this, but listen. This is good stuff, but I want to run this. I, I do want to say this, like you're from Augusta, Georgia. Yep. Tell us absolutely. Like, since we like went blazing into this, because like we're, we're like, okay, okay. We're going to say it again. Where's Wendy? But, but, but no, what exactly introduce, like, what do you do there in Augusta, okay. Georgia? Yeah. What, what are your, what's your professional hats? You said you had two. I have two. So <laughs> I work as a peer support specialist and a harm reduction specialist at the RCO in Augusta, which an RCO is a recovery community organization. Thank you. Um, I work with Focus on Recovery. I love them. They're awesome. Um, and they really kind of, along with Mark and Michael, and like I was saying, kind of catapulted me into this work. And I also work as a peer support specialist, aka recovery coach at a... Um, like 28 day ish treatment program here in Augusta. So I, I do both. I love both of them equally. You know, on one hand I'm working with people or their family members, right? Cause that's another important yeah. part of this conversation. Um, either people or their family members who are still actively engaging in drug use. 
And on the other hand, I'm watching people, you know, come in, go through detox, do short-term residential and see them on the other side. And it's cool. I've actually been able to see some people from the harm reduction program go into this particular treatment center. Um, and we've actually helped a few other ones go into other treatment centers. Other participants have found their own, you know, recovery programs, which is awesome. And that's really what I love about this, just getting people from, you know, point zero, right, uh, into yes. recovery, whatever that looks like for them. And you're in, in I think going back to that call, um, mm-hmm. because we all get these calls. I mean, my phone yeah. just it, it's it's insane. I've had a grasshopper line. I've had everything in the world. But people say, well, why do you give them Narcan over and over and over again? But here's the thing. There are times when they ask for help, too. Right. Yeah. And here's, absolutely. And here's the struggle in South Carolina. I don't know about Georgia, but the, the, the struggle in South Carolina is they don't if they don't have insurance, we're not a Medicaid state. The thing that really yep. kills me is I have yep. a kid and maybe we've been yep. working with him on the harm reduction side. And we know that we know that Mark teaches us this, you know, the harm, harm reduction folks like yourself teaches this is that they're five times more likely. Hey, does everybody hear this? They're five yep. times more likely five. to ask for help and seek help when we treat them with dignity and meet them with this harm reduction, these harm reduction methods. But the issue that I'm running into in South Carolina is like, I don't have anywhere to send them. And so, I mean, like it's taken two, three weeks to get them into outpatient in our County services. Listen, I don't want to knock our County services. I love the folks at Phoenix center. I mean, but right. they are just overwhelmed from COVID and everything else. But three, okay. I, I, God only knows what it takes to get somebody in Morris Village. Are you running into the same thing in Georgia? I keep, I think. I, oh, I, yeah. Okay. Okay. And that's, you have to Specifically understand. Specifically in Augusta, because we don't have any kind of crisis stabilization unit here. We don't have any kind of, um, basically in Augusta, if someone wants to detox, they have to go to Aurora or Serenity, which are county mental health clinics, and tell them that they are suicidal with a plan of action. Oh, for God's sake. And sense. they get a 72-hour hold. We have to send people to Atlanta, to Statesboro, to Athens, which is insane because we are actually the second largest metropolitan area in Georgia. And it's ridiculous. Um, it's really sad. And I've been, you know, trying to make noise. Like, how do we get a CSU here? Like, what do we have to do? Good for you. Um, the hospital that was offering detox services has actually stopped and they actually have a new detox wing, but, um, you either have two options, use your insurance, or if you don't have insurance pay, I think it's $2,500. So that's, as you know, like for someone like I was before I came back into recovery, $2,500. $2,500. You might as well have been asking me for $50 million. Like it was oh, God, about yeah. the same in likelihood of me coming up with it. Yeah. I mean, and, it, and, and that's people are dying because of this. Right. And that's what, that's what P I don't think that people quite understand this, that don't right. take these calls. I, I've even thought about forwarding these calls to like state senators or something. I swear yeah. to God, like, you know, because I talked to my state Senator one time, I won't say who he is, Dwight Loftus. Um, and I've actually talked to him 
about this. And he, and he literally told me that there were plenty of places for those people to go, uh, you know, and, and he started rattling. Where? <laughs> well, let me tell you what he did, Dolly. He started rattling these places off and, and, and he, the, they were like, like he said, Miracle Hill, which don't get me wrong, does great work, yeah. but they are not a right. treatment center. He said Solutions right. Recovery Center. I said that, sir. That's not a treatment center. Like, so what yeah. I'm getting at is my state senator, I won't say is Dwight Loftus, um, did not know what I, what, did not really know. What they don't, the, yeah. They don't know not, the difference. He did not know the difference in a treatment center and a program or a recovery residence or a, yeah. he, he did not, he had, he had no clue. And I think that's one of the things that, that I struggle with so much is we're getting these calls like the one that Wendy sent to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're, but we're also well, getting called. Let me, let me, yeah. let me hop in here and play devil's advocate for a minute. Okay. So, here comes the devil. So, you know, as a politician, obviously they have a million things going on. Yep. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we automatically assume that they know what the, what the language is, but you know, how do we go about trying to, you know, I don't know, maybe bring that to a clearer understanding for them, because obviously they they don't know the difference between RCO, treatment center, et cetera. So how do you tackle that? Like, how do you tackle that? Because that's actually probably a big deal. I mean, and, and they think that they're helping or they, you know, or, but if they're, you know, like, how do you how do you tackle the whole thing? I guess that's my point. How do we how do we educate legislators so jump in here, Dolly. But one of the things that we are doing here in South Carolina is is we are introducing shout out to Nicole, Chris and Aaron and Wendy Schultz. I see her there. Listen, Wendy. I, I'm Here I go. I saw a squirrel. OK, <laughs> Wendy is like where you were a while back, Dolly. And she's like doing mm-hmm. this out of the tr- I just upped her up. With some Narcan, she's like doing what you're doing in Spartanburg. Mm-hmm. So shout, Wendy, nice. hang out like, like we'll get you hooked up with Dolly because Dolly was like where you were like, and this is mm-hmm. like, man, this is what's going on. Like people are stepping up and just doing this out of the trunk yeah. of their car. And, yeah. and just like what Wendy's doing, I'm glad she, I'm glad she popped up. So, but back to the legislative question after I saw the squirrel, um, we, what we're doing is we have we have a legislation. We're, we're writing up a legislation bill on mm-hmm. language like I was talking about that, like reoccurrence instead of like we have old language in our bills. And I think that that will um, that will help educate. What's your thoughts, Dolly? Well, I think, you know, I know that last week Riley told you guys about the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse and all the amazing work that they've done. I've been fortunate enough to go through the same CARES training that he mentioned. Yeah. um, Where I learned a lot, you know, a lot of the language like you were speaking about earlier, saying like reoccurrence or setback instead of the relapse word and, you know, saying Mm -hmm. substance use disorder instead of addiction and things like that. And, um, I think, you know, what I'm just trying to do. So like my sole focus right now is making Augusta better, right? Making Augusta a better place for people who um, are using drugs um, and their family members so that they can have connection to resources. And I've been fortunate enough to um, 
with the work at Focus on Recovery, we've been able to go in front of the district attorney. Um, I have a really good working relationship with one of the county commissioners there. But as far as on a bigger level, I really feel like, you know, if people who do harm reduction, people who work in recovery houses, family members of people, if we could all band together, right, and get like some kind of clear and concise message of like, what you guys are offering is not enough. A 72 hour mental health hold is not enough. That releases somebody when they're in the height of their withdrawals most of the time. Like this is not acceptable. This is what we need. I feel like, you know, they can't ignore that many voices, right? Like they're going to have to listen to somebody say, this is unacceptable. This is why people are dying. This is, I lost my son, my daughter, my mother, my father, my brother, whoever, I think it's going to take a lot of, you know, consistent and dedicated action from people like us, you know, just regular people, people in recovery, allies for recovery, family members of people. And, you know, it, it seems so big, but we got to break it down and make it small. Dolly, are you involved with the Recovery Advocacy Project? It's called RAP. We got to mm-hmm. get you hooked into yeah. that and mobilize recovery. I, because like yeah. you, you are like one of us. I'm just going to tell you, just talking to you, like you're one of these crazy people like myself. And there's some others out here. Shout yeah. out to Aaron Kacharski, Recovery Advocacy Project, Ryan Hampton. They have mobilized recovery every year. I'm going to, I'm going to like, you got it. You got to apply for that. You got to hang okay. out with us in Las Vegas because we're just a bunch. Like I found my people. I used to just think I was just this crazy person yeah. that just wanted yeah. to, that I feel so much for like people and yeah. especially drug users. And like, I, I you know, say what you want. I feel like God called me to do this, but you're right, man. All, yeah. all politics is local. And you mentioned yeah. something, um, all politics is local, but, and, 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 and you made me think of something like when I, when I hooked up with you and, and I saw you kind of interacting on the harm, redu- on, mm-hmm. on Mark's harm reduction site, mm-hmm. we, we start a lot of shit on that, don't we? <laughs> it's okay. Though. I, I got to watch myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Dolly, chill out. It's fine. But you know what, man? But listen, um, it was it was only a few years ago. I like I told you, I got into recovery in 1990. Like, and it it was it was exactly the people you're talking about, like Mark Burroughs, um, Michael. I call him the Crouching Tiger. Rich Jones, right. another guy here that's absolutely. I'm gonna. I got to have him on the show. Nate Tate that started educating me. And a few years ago, I remember sitting down with my director and saying, we got to work with these kids with MAT. And and we were out to lunch and and he dropped his chicken leg. Yeah, it's like, but I mean, no, I mean, his, I mean, he said, what, you know, because he was just an an old, he's an old AA guy. I'm an old NA guy. And I said, but listen, man, I said, they're slipping through the cracks like nobody's helping them, man. And it, yeah. like, it, it, it's like we're, le- we're leaving out a population. And that's the thing. That's If there's one thing I've learned from Mobilize Recovery and the Recovery Advocacy Project is it is not advocacy if we are leaving anyone out. Right. We're bringing Absolutely. everybody, right, Dolly? Everybody, everybody. And, so if it, you know, if it, I, I hate to admit this, but it's the truth, you know, Riley really cracked my brain open with the MAT stuff because I've been, 
in and around recovery. Um, yeah, I came back into recovery. I went to recovery house in Athens and I would see Riley post all this stuff. And I've been in and around recovery for 10 years. And the messaging was always you're cheating. MAT isn't sober. You know, you're just trading one addiction for another. It's and I crutch. believe that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because my, um, the substances I was using, there's no MAT for it. You know what I mean? I'm just a meth head. I don't know what any of this uh, stuff yeah. is. So I'm believing what you're saying about it. Yes. And it wasn't until, you know, Riley, mainly Riley, but some other people really cracked my brain open and I got to see the truth that just because that's not something that was available to me or that wasn't something that was offered to me, that it doesn't work. Yeah. And it, it does work. And, you know, when we talk about preventing overdose deaths and early recovery, there is no better method than MAT. There, there's just not. And the fact that it's so often discarded and not left it, you know, given any kind of second thought is killing again, it's killing people. But, but Dolly, and I mean, and, and let's let's get back to it's ninety nine thousand people died in 2020. Yeah. Right. We're talking yeah. about ninety nine thousand people that belong to someone. There was somebody's children, fathers, husbands. Mothers. Yeah. And here's the thing. I mean, I and I started to realize that not everybody's just going to walk in and NAAA me. I was right. fortunate. The moon and the stars lined up like I was out mm -hmm. in a parking lot getting back in my car and I was getting ready to go blow my head off. I was so in this guy. It, yeah. I, I say this. He it was harm reduction in 1990 because he he looked at me. And said, hey, you know, hey, kid, where are you going? And I said, man, you know, and, and it, you know what it was? I was afraid to go back in. I yeah. had had a reoccurrence, but I was yeah. I was so full of guilt and shame. And I was like, I can't walk back in there and tell these people. But this guy said and he said, let me just hey, man, I'll just walk in with you and think about yeah. that. what he did in 1990 was harm reduction. But, but yeah. let, let, let me do this. I want to talk because we were supposed to talk about Mayberry, <laughs> but I want to talk like I yeah. Go ahead, Todd. Well, well, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, real quick, I just did want to throw this in there. Like, you know, for the last two years, you know, we've had this pandemic going on, you know, and all that, mm -hmm. and so people were afraid to get together and unify their voices and go out and together, you know, together in in a group. But you used to see stuff with like the you know the spoon that went around the the pill bottle guy and all that. And how many organized events have you seen in the last six months where we can all come out with the signs, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my husband, this yeah. is my father, my mother. You know, how, I mean, when do we get back to that? Because I, I think that visual actually makes a big impact in trying to help change the narrative here. Yeah, so we tried to have an event like that in Augusta, um, unfortunately, because they implement they suddenly decided it was a good idea to implement protesting laws last summer if you remember what was going on yeah. um we were unable to get the appropriate permits to do it the way we wanted to but you know you're exactly right we had a overdose um of a close friend of mine an overdose that in athens a few years ago and that's exactly what we did we went out there and we said not one more and we had people holding signs that says narcan saved my life and kids walking narcan saved my parents or this is my son, this is my daughter. And um, I don't think there's anything more powerful than that because the narrative usually is like, so you got to think of the normal person, right? They see people who use drugs as people who don't have family, 
that live under bridges and eat out of trash cans. Yeah. And now sometimes that is true, but that is not the majority of the people who are struggling with substance use disorder. It's just not. And Dolly, and, and but it gets down to this, you know, it's like, it would be the equivalent of like, okay, let's help these people. They have stage four cancer or stage four diabetes. Yeah. Like yeah. we don't wait to do that with any no. other diseases. And no. I, but one of the, like you would have loved this. Okay. At mobilize recovery, we had Patrick Kennedy and he spoke and he spoke about parity and why we don't treat diseases of the brain like the rest of the body. And I, when he started talking about it, like I get excited as you can tell, Okay, and I was like, I, I was like getting ready to throw my chair through a window or something. I, I just, I, I, it was amazing. But I wanted to get into like, and I wanted, and Todd, I want to tell you this. I may be getting ahead of myself, but here's something that we're going to do. Okay, Dolly, and you're going to love this. Okay. Because it okay. involves Mark Burroughs, and you know we've got our harm reduction bus, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so the harm reduction bus was donated by our wonderful folks at Phoenix Center. Miss Becky, thank you. Yeah. Um, and then we had, like, lately we've had a dealership that, like, fix, helped them fix it up and put air conditioning in it because Chris Stepp. Oh, wow. Chris Stepp, we love you, man. He was running around. We love Chris. We love us some Chris and, and Rose. And so so we were running around, and they didn't have any air conditioning in the bus, but they're, they're getting all that. But here's the thing. Here's what we've come up with. And we're going to do this, okay? We're going to take that harm reduction bus and we're going to park it. I would love to see it on the grounds of the state house. Yeah, uh, and then we absolutely. need to, and then we need to roll it over. Um, our, our, our shout out to our folks at the state agency, Dayotis. We're going to park that sucker right in your right in your courtyard, and I'm going to get my bullhorn. And we're going to actually have yeah. like 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 legislators like let them see this and educate conservative South Carolina, like think about how much it cost to, yeah. to, to like, like we were talking about earlier to treat someone with hepatitis mm -hmm. C. Mark can tell us a lot of yeah. personal stuff about that. So he's very personal. He's very open about it, but yeah. Um, yeah, me too. Think up, think about all that, but I want to talk about like, so Augusta, Georgia is known like, just like we were going to talk about Mayberry, um, mm -hmm. and we'll have Wendy on again. We're going to find her. I, something happened. I hope she's okay. But here's the thing. Yeah. Um, Augusta, Georgia is known for the Masters. Golf. Golf. Yeah. Like, you know, mm -hmm. Amen Corner. When you think of Augusta, Georgia, it's like you think of the Masters. You think of, it's beautiful. If If... Yeah. Like if you've never been like Renee and I had our second date there, you know, and, and, and yeah, like years ago, That's if, sweet. if I make it to February, Dolly, it'll be 25 years. I love you, babe. And, um, and I'll tell this story real quick. Can I tell this story, Todd? Am I going to get in trouble? I'll make it quick. I promise. Why, why would you get in trouble? Well, yeah. I know how you are. You'll, you'll be like after the show, like, man, why'd you tell that story? No, no, no I, my, I had my second date with my beautiful wife, Renee, and we went to the practice round and it was right when you had to have like tickets and stuff. I got tickets. Mm -hmm. And I thought was, she wasn't a golf fan or anything, but she was like, it's so beautiful. And we, we were sitting there talking to a lady and we were watching Arnold Palmer, who was like my all time favorite golfer. 
And we were talking to this lady because that's kind of how I am. I never meet a stranger. And Renee was kind of figuring that out on our second date. And she got up and she said, well, I'm going to go to another hole and watch somebody else. But I want to be the first to congratulate you guys. And I don't know if I don't know if she remembers that. But but when we think about Dolly, when we think about Augusta, Georgia, we think about Amen Corner. We think about Azalea's. Um, yeah. But seriously, we were talking earlier about this flow of drugs. And I don't think, I don't think, and this is kind of like hitting my heart a little bit here, but I don't think that people really understand what's happening here. Um, And I want to say this and and, and is that we were going to have Wendy on. She's from Surrey County. Surrey County is Mayberry, USA, seriously, like where um, Goober hung out, Andy, Aunt B. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, they had 32 overdoses in 48 hours. Now, it was the substance carfentanil. So what you're saying is, so do you think we, this is kind of what we, where we connected on the harm Mm -hmm. reduction site. So do you think the substances are getting stronger? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and I know this cause I'm privileged enough with my work at focus on recovery to be involved in the opioid task force that we have in Augusta, Richmond County. Okay. And I was able to see some coroner reports, not with any names, sure, but just, you know, male, female age, um, for toxicology report for people who had died of overdose. And at that time, this was in 2020 and they they weren't even all the, all the test results weren't even back. But I remember seeing like two or three that had, you know, car fentanyl, right. Very few out of like 60 or so there was like three that had car fentanyl. And, um, I remember with my work at the treatment center, we had a patient from Atlanta a few months ago and she was telling me, yeah, I was doing car fentanyl, but she was doing it on purpose. And I was thinking like, wow, that's so crazy. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's cheaper. You don't have to use as much. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And, um, I think the problem that we're seeing is when people, and I remember Riley saying something about drug testing and I wish that we had access to it because when people know what substance they have, they can at that point make an informed decision this is stronger. I'm going to do less. Right. But when people don't know, and they think they're getting heroin, which is probably actually fentanyl, which may now have car fentanyl in it, they're using their normal amount, which is more deadly. And that's where we're seeing the overdoses and where we're seeing the deaths. Um, and it's just, it's so, so sad because if we could test this stuff, we could let people know like, Hey, this is what's out there. I don't know a thousand percent that it is carfentanil. I do have my strong suspicions that it is. Um, so, you know, I just let my peers know like, Hey, there's some really bad stuff going around. Make sure you don't use alone. Make sure you have Narcan on hand. If you are using alone, call that never use alone line. Remember the amnesty law, the good Samaritan law that we have here, call for help. All these things we know prevent overdose death. Um, but just in Augusta recently, like normally at the RCO, we'll get seven to 12, reversals for the month yeah and that's from our peers reversing their peers from overdose death um or from overdoses last month we had 26 like that's 
more than double, right? 26. And then this was month, that 26, 26 death overdoses? No, 26 reversals. Okay, I'm sorry. We, Thank you. 26. We have had a cluster in deaths also. Um, we actually lost our first participant last month. Um, and it was someone who I had known for a very long time, and it's very unfortunate. Um, and then another person that I knew who has two children and one of their their father had also passed away from an overdose um, about a year prior. So it's it's really sad. Um, and a lot of times, you know, especially this last month, I felt as though like we're just putting out fires, right? Like we're uh, making sure we have enough Narcan. We're making sure we get it to the right people. Yeah. Um, but it, it is stronger, stronger stuff. That's without question. Cause a lot of these people, you know, do have a tolerance. They are long-term users. They, they're not ignorant in what they're doing. So Wendy, I just, I'm, and I'm sorry, Mike, I didn't no, mean to cut so, you off. No, that's okay. This but, is exact. I wanted to but, get into this with, with Dolly because she's very knowledgeable about what's on the street. Well, I, I wanted to ask, are you guys paying more? for your Narcan because I've seen reports all across the country mm-hmm. where it's up, yeah. not, not because there's a lack of supply, but because there's a demand. And it seems like the yeah. pharmaceutical company is actually profiting off of that now. And so that's what, mm-hmm. I mean, are you seeing that you're having to pay more out of pocket? So from what I understand, um, the way it's set up in Georgia, we actually get all of our Narcan that we're able to pass out to our peers. And I definitely want to give a shout out to the amazing ladies at the Georgia Overdose Prevention. Um, they we're, yeah. they told me yesterday they're almost at 5,000 total lives saved, no. which is amazing. Not for this Thank year. I, I don't know for how long. I think since the existence of the program. But they actually get their Narcan through a grant through the DBHDB. Um, but I do know that co-pays on Narcan are up. So if you were to go to a pharmacy, say you had insurance and you're like, hey, I want to buy this Narcan. What used to be $20 is now $40 or $50, which is unaffordable for some people. You know, they don't have $50 to just go and spend on a medication that they may or may not need, you know. And and Dolly, let me let me ask you this, because, again, and I I hope that our state agency even watches this. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I don't think we understand that there are waves of stronger substances coming. And, yeah. and is it now, and, and, and we want to get educated here. We are yeah. understanding that it's taking like four and five and six doses yeah. of naloxone. Now, one yeah. of the things that Chris is saying that makes sense, Chris Step, Chris is just starting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, Chris is the man, okay? Um, I love Chris. I know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, um, it's good people. Yeah, man. And, 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 and we, and we go out and we, we do this in memory of, of his, of his sweet daughter mm-hmm. that he lost, Jesse, Jesse May. But he said that one of the things that we're doing is we're panicking and we're hitting people yeah. with the NAR, with the naloxone. Right. Like, so we should wait. If we do come up on somebody, folks, mm-hmm. they're blue. They're gurgling. It's not a pretty sight. Yeah. Okay. You you know what's going on. Um, yeah. And we hit the, we hit them in the one nose and we wait mm-hmm. two minutes, right? Two minutes. Two minutes. Two don't minutes. Sh- don't yeah. hit them another after 30 seconds or, you know, and, yeah. I, and I know everybody's panicking and I've been talking to the guys at the house yeah. about this. But one of the things that concerns me, Dolly, is as a housing provider 
And I've talked to, yep. to my folks at the state about this. I've got some really good people at the state that I talked to. Shout out to Greg Jacobs. He, he does a wonderful job out there in Jan. Um, one of the things that concerns me is as a housing provider, that is as this, these substances get stronger, mm-hmm. God yeah. almighty, we can't, we, we, we can't watch somebody 24 seven and, and they want to be yeah. grown men. Like they don't want me sitting there going, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. they should have their personal space. They should be able to go to their room and close the door. Um, all that stuff. And, and it's just, to me, it's getting scary, man. As a, as a housing provider, it's getting very scary now, but you mentioned something and we're kind of, we didn't have pro we didn't have a problem talking, did we? And we're gonna talk some more. Yeah. Like we're gonna have Yeah. Listen, you've and I wanna mention this because Dolly mentioned this um in our in our little green room as we were talking. Um, you talked about the hub in Atlanta. Yeah. Where you said that is like ground zero where yeah. the drugs come in in the southeast. Okay. Yeah. And you Absolutely. said that that what we are seeing there is what we will probably begin to see yes. in Augusta absolutely, and Greenville absolutely. and Columbia. Yep. And, and, and yep. li- lis- listen to me, yep. uh, please li- listen, folks. What they are seeing in the hub is, please tell us, Dolly, I'm going to give, I'm, I want you to tell us what you are seeing because you're, you're the one that's got the pulse on that. Yeah. So just, you know, like I mentioned before, you know, that the car fentanyl was being used and I reached out to um, some friends of mine who have been in recovery, maybe not as long. And they're like, yeah, that is actually what was happening there. But, you know, I can remember back in my days, um, you know, going up to Atlanta to get more stuff. And that's kind of what's happening. You know, the what's happening there is going to make it out. Right. So like a lot of times we act as though these cities are in silos and they're not connected. Augusta is 120 miles away from Atlanta and it's all interstate. I know Greenville's not far either. So it's ludicrous to think, you know, we need, this is why it's so important, you know, that we talk to each other you know, I work with Lori at the Georgia overdose prevention. She works with Atlanta harm reduction. You know, whenever I'm seeing trends in Augusta, like I reach out to other organizations because I'm like, where did this start? Where is it going? You know, we, we, we act like these places are really far apart when in reality they're not, you know? So that's definitely what's going on in Atlanta. It's making its way here. Um, and, you know, it's our best information actually does since we don't have access to drug testing here um, other than those little fentanyl strips. But actually, like Riley was talking about, I think, with like the mass spectrometer, maybe it was um, we don't have access to that. So our best information actually comes from people who are using drugs. Yeah, sure. You know, I got word from one of my peers, you know, a few months ago that the, the Xanax and Augusta was all fake press and it was mostly fentanyl. And we were able to sound the alarm on that. And hopefully I like to think prevent some deaths, you know, and let people know that this is what's going on. Have Narcan. Um, Because it's one thing, like I said earlier, if you know what you have and you can make an informed decision. And I think that whether the public likes to believe it or not, because the public likes to believe that people who use drugs don't care about themselves. They want to die. That's not true. No. 
you know, when you give people the power of information, they can then make an informed decision that could save their lives. And that's what's really important. You know, not just meeting them with respect, dignity, giving them access to recovery, but giving them that information that is life-saving and also to their families. Like, hey, this is how you use Narcan. This is how it works. This is where you can get it. If you run out, let me know. I'll give you more. And, and like, that's and, what's saving lives. And, and Dolly, I wonder if that's because it just, I mean, we keep saying it's getting worse. And so we had 99,000. I mean, like, when, and, and that's one of the things, like, we're doing this show. We got six or seven people watching us. We'll have a hundred, hopefully a couple of hundred people yeah. that kind of watch this. You're going to share, you know, because you, you are sounding the alarm and you're saying, look, hey, I'm in Augusta. I'm in Greenville. And you're telling us that like, it, and, and what you said something to me too. You said, Mike, it, it, I think we were messaging back and forth. You said it's actually cheaper, cheaper to make car fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And so is there a possibility, Dolly, that we could see car fentanyl? We've been talking about it for probably mm-hmm. a couple few years, but is there a possibility yeah. that we could see car fentanyl take over fentanyl? And, yeah, absolutely. And, and 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 I think what what you're seeing and what you're trying to tell us is is look, it's coming out of Atlanta, Georgia to us. And what we are yeah. seeing right now, right down the road, folks, is more and more car fentanyl. And I don't yeah. think I mean, and it's like I talked to a parent a couple of weeks ago and I said, you know, hey man, you know, your your son was using, you know, fentanyl. She didn't even know what it was. She said, oh, that's just something yeah. that they cut it with. And I said, no, ma'am. I said, what you need mm-hmm. to do is is get educated and read. And I sent her some stuff yeah. because she was like, well, you know, why did he go to the hospital? I mean, she no, they don't understand yeah. because don't it, because it is not. It, why? I just, why is this not? You know, I can just say from my experience. Discussion. I know. I know. So I can just say from my experience, you know, when I was still using and participating in my own drug use, um, you know, I was with somebody we were dating, you know, and they were, uh, they had opioid use disorder and they were using heroin all the time. And I remember the few instances that they got stuff that had fentanyl in it, watching them fall out and being like, Oh my God, this is horrible. And then being like, I don't want the stuff with fentanyl. I don't want the stuff with fentanyl. When I started working at the treatment center here and I met people who were doing fentanyl on purpose as their drug of choice, I was blown away. I was like, why would they do this? It's so dangerous. But what I had to understand, and if you look at the drug trends over time, right? The fentanyl is cheaper than the heroin. It's easier to get. People are going to start preferring it because of those reasons. It's cheaper and it's easier. They're going to build a tolerance. Now the car fentanyl, over time, I believe that if car fentanyl does become more and more prevalent, it will kind of lose its deadly nature because people will start to build a tolerance to it. But right now, what we're seeing is people with no tolerance for car fentanyl using it and unfortunately, you know, experiencing overdose and overdose death. So I do think it's important, you know, that we have these conversations in a way that are realistic. Like, yes, this substance is here. It is deadly, but we don't want to create, um, you know, kind of like the, what was that old movie? Reefer Madness. Like we want to be realistic about it. Right. right. So like, this is what's happening in the meantime, be aware, be safe. If you are choosing to use, just know that it's out there. And, um, 
You know, unfortunately, in this country, we talk about one drug epidemic or another drug epidemic. It's not going away. You know, until we we figure out ways to really tackle, you know, substance use disorder. As we know, it starts, you know, with a lot of things, genetics, brain makeup, but a lot of it's social trauma. Like, like, right. Like a lot of it has to do with our environment. Right. Until we as a society like start to address that stuff. We're going to continue to have these conversations. The drugs are going to continue to change. And we just have to adapt and meet people where they're at and try to keep them safe. And, and Dolly, the scary thing is like, OK, and, and I mean, I don't think this is like what comes after Carfent. I mean, r- really, I mean, it, it's it's like and we know it's just flowing in from China into Mexico and in into, into corridored into the different major cities, our city being Atlanta. Again, mm-hmm. again, if if we can get this out here, folks. Dolly, Dolly from Augusta, Georgia, is sounding the alarm. Serious. I mean, yeah. and, and we don't want it to sound like, but this is, I mean, and if they start pressing pills and like you, you hear about kids yeah. that take one Xanax that's pressed with fentanyl, we're talking yeah. about car fentanyl. And I, I, I'm like you, I believe it's just, I don't think, oh my God, if you could see how, what I've seen from 1990, I mean, where it was just, yeah. it was cracking alcohol, like. And that's what I was going to kind of wrap this up with. There's not a lot of recreational use out here anymore. Like, you know, like you go to a party and you think, I'm just going to do a few lines of Coke. That damn stuff could have fentanyl or car fentanyl in it. And you're dead. You ain't coming back. And so I really, really, this has been really, really good. We got to have you back on. You're definitely our Augusta connection. Yeah, Todd. So, and then I just wanted to throw in there, uh, as we are landing the plane here for everybody to, if you want to know more about, you know, ahead of time, obviously go to www.recoveryfirstpodcast.com, sign up for our newsletter, uh, and you'll be in the first to know of when our new guests and episodes are coming out. And also that's another platform uh, as well as Spotify, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, sorry, I said the wrong thing. Apple Podcast, uh, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, where you can catch the replays of, of this episode. So I just wanted to make sure I threw that in there. If you if you don't subscribe already, please do. And you know, anyways, I'll give it back to Mike. But I wanted to get that in there before. No, thank thank you, thank you, Todd and Dolly. Listen, this has been awesome. I, I mean, it's and it, and I want to say it's like really cool to see like the mentoring. Like I was mentioning, Wendy. Um, the lady from Spartanburg, who's like, like pulled up with her car and she had like the stuff to give to the homeless folks, uh, socks and all this stuff. And she was like, I, 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 I'm trying to figure out how to do this. Right. And, and I want to get, I want to get as much education and like, God called me to do this. And, you know, it's just, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's the main thing we want you yeah, we want to like celebrate you on these on this thing, <laughs> this podcast. I mean, and it is growing. We'll have a, a audio of this that you can send out to people. Okay, because this is like this has been really, really good, informative. Man, Mark and and Mark being your mentor, man, he did he did great. And now yeah. you're ready to start mentoring some other folks. Yeah. And you, you know what? It's I, cool. And I can tell this is like, like 
you get up in the morning and you're not like, well, I wish I was doing something else. Like you're doing exactly what Dolly wants to be doing. And I want to say this too. I'm so proud of you as the old guy with the podcast. This just like, I just want to get all you young folks on here and showcase you. I am so (laughs) proud. I really am. I'm so proud of you um, for what you do. And uh, Todd, anything else you want to ask Dolly? I mean, it's been, she's keeping an eye on this drug supply. Well, no, I, you know, quickly, and I know I'm kind of mm-hmm. going out of order here, but I, okay. I did have one question. You know, you had mentioned in regards to the, we talked about language a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. but do you think it would actually, and it's kind of piggybacking back on the visual thing that I had referred to earlier that we were discussing. Do you think the visuals need to change as well? We talk an awful lot about language. We talk an awful lot about like we've got to say things the right way. Don't say things this way. And don't get me wrong, I'm playing devil's advocate here again. But mm-hmm. I really don't think that the mother or the father who doesn't know the right speak isn't necessarily concerned about right. how we say things at times necessarily as what they're seeing. So do we change the yeah. visual? And I'm like I said, I'm playing devil's advocate. But I just want to throw that in there. Mike's got his hand up, but I just want to. Can I, Dolly, here's the thing, Todd. We talk about education. If I'm out here in the community and I'm saying, hey, I'm Mike, I'm an addict. Um, To someone out here in the community, I mean, they're going to go, they go lock their doors. Um, You know, they have this negative. But if I say, hey, I'm Mike Todd, I'm a person in long-term recovery, that's the part of the land. It's not like we're trying to be like all this politically correct stuff. It's really about getting this out here in an educational light. When we say reoccurrence instead of relapse, you know, we, we, we put this out here so that people can, and because people understand as a person in recovery, they understand, Right. But if they hear addict or alcoholic, I mean, it's cool in my meetings and stuff. Well, I mean, and yeah. I, hear, I hear you on the, you know, as a person in, re- in recovery, I understand. But when we're dealing with the family members that don't necessarily understand, that are stigmatized, that's where I'm kind of going with, with the whole thing. Do we need to yeah. change the visual? Because not, the, not and I'm not saying, I'm not, not saying the language doesn't need to be uh, handled. That's not what I'm, that's not even yeah. my point. My point is, though, that like, do we... T- can we, you know, like I, I hear all the time in the recovery community, and I'm not saying here, but in general, I hear a lot about language across the board, but I never hear anything about visuals. I never, never hear anything about banding together, you know, united that way. And yeah, that's absolutely. What I, that's what I, I'm think, I think when it comes to banding together, um, if you want my most honest opinion, and it's probably <laughs> not <laughs> lay correct, it, lay it on us, I man. feel like co- we need. We need to be what we are. We're angry, right? So we're angry that as a population, we're stigmatized. We're angry as a population. We don't have recovery resources. We're angry because our our family members are dying. Our friends are dying. That's what got me in this. Yeah, I'm pissed. Right? So I I feel like, I mean, I am too. I feel like, you know, on a certain level, you know, we're like, can we please have, will you please I feel like on a certain level, you know, we need to remember that not only are we taxpayers, but we're voters and we're demanding like y'all need to do something. We got you. Right. Robert. We got a place for you. Yeah. We got a place called. Yeah. Red. Like y'all yeah. need to do no. something like I'm sick of I'm sick of it. Like my first nine months in recovery, 14 of my friends died in Augusta, Georgia. Why? Why is this still happening? 
Why is there still no resources? Why is there still no CSU? Why do I still have to take peers two hours away just to detox? Well, I'm Why just, are you like downplaying our homeless population? Why are all these things happening? Wow. Like y'all need to straighten up. Like we, yeah. we gotta get like, we gotta get you to mobilize recovery next year. Aaron Kacharski, if you, if you see this on a replay, we gotta get, we gotta get Dolly's application. We got to get her to mobilize recovery, hanging out with us, doing the workshops. Listen, no, no, really, you will love this. Like I can see us in Las Vegas next year, like eating chicken wings and whatever we were doing. We were were hanging out and watching the ball games and stuff. But But I would would also say that we're not that far away from, you know, Augusta. So we could always do some collaboration as well in the meantime instead of, Going the whole way to Nevada. I don't know why I'm playing devil's advocate tonight, but I really enjoy this role. But I, you know, I do come to do Greenville think, yeah. occasionally, and I would love to meet you guys. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely, man. And um, but when we talk about a visual, and I'll say this as we wrap this up, let's get that harm reduction bus because really we should have a harm reduction bus going around in Augusta. We should have a harm reduction yes, bus oh, yeah. in, in Columbia. I'm hey, state agency. We should have a harm reduction bus in Columbia, South Carolina. We got one in Greenville, but it was us. We did this, right? Um, yeah. And, and yeah. so, yeah, so Dolly, we got to get back with you. Listen, this has been really good. We're going to let you go. Todd, take us out of here, but you are wonderful. We love you. So 30 years ago, when I first came into recovery, we didn't have recovery housing. If someone was seeking recovery and maybe coming to meetings and didn't have anywhere to live, we'd basically try to help them find somewhere to live. And, and that's how it all started. It, we all started basically living together and keeping each other accountable um, in recovery. Now, as the years have gone through, um, it's basically turned into an industry. And with that industry, there comes a lot of challenges. Um, there's a, quite a bit of exploitation. Um, you know, you're dealing with a very, very vulnerable population. So that's the reason that we started the South Carolina Recovery Housing Association to help providers, to help other recovery housing operators, to help mentor them, um, to help to advocate for them and one of the things that we did right off the bat was we started getting the locks on into all recovery housing in South Carolina. We were very fortunate to get a grant from the Clinton Foundation and some help from the Recovery Advocacy Project and Challenges Inc. and Favor Greenville and you know all of them combined have helped the South Carolina Recovery Housing Association to begin getting the locks on into all recovery housing in South Carolina and to help train their residents on the use of naloxone. We believe that is the first standard uh, that we need to accomplish in South Carolina. Recovery housing operators are a very valuable resource to those suffering from substance use disorder in South Carolina and we want to advocate for them train them, mentor, and just work with them with whatever needs that they may have. If you want to get in touch with us, 
It's screcoveryhousing.org. Thank you.